This podcast is brought to you in part by Hallow, the number one Catholic prayer and meditation app. Build a habit of prayerful discernment both in this election season and in everyday life. For a 30-day free trial, head to hallow.com slash votingcatholic. A warning to our listeners. This episode of Voting Catholic contains strong language. My name is Jose Arnulfo Cabrera, and I'm the Director of Education and Advocacy for Migration at the Ignatian Solidarity Network. So I was born in a small village called Loma Bonita, Oaxaca. It's in a, a southern state in Mexico. And, you know, I was born dirt poor on a dirt floor. We lived in a small shack with aluminum walls and aluminum roof. No running water, no electricity. Uh, my mom and I just had a, uh, a bed and a bucket. And my mom, you know, knew that there was no life, there was no future for me in Mexico. Uh, so at the age of four, we decided to come to the U.S. My father, well, I was still kind of unsure of uh, their relationship, but he had a, a friend who was a coyote, a man who brings people across uh, the border. And the coyote had a son who was about my age. So he, he told my father, uh, you know, give me a little bit more money and I can pass your son as if he was my son. I was four years old and how, you know, how do you explain this to a four-year-old? So they didn't. And in a sense, I just remember the coyote coming over and just taking me out of my mom's arms. Uh, and no one really kind of told me what was happening. And I spent four days and three nights without my mom. Uh, that was the first time in my life I'd ever been separated from her, and I didn't know if I would ever see her again. But when we got, you know, to this country, um, being undocumented, uh, you don't have many luxuries in this country, um, and so we lived in a lot of tough neighborhoods my my entire life growing up here, and so because of this, my mom decided to start organizing. She realized that we would never have a lot of opportunities or we would never, in a sense, make the money to leave these neighborhoods while we were, while me and my siblings were growing up. So she started organizing. Uh, she started organizing uh, undocumented workers fighting for, for better wages. Um, she eventually helped start an organization in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's where I grew up. I slowly started to become interested. And right around the time when kind of the Dream Act was becoming very popular uh, and there was, you know, the, the immigration reform movement was slowly kind of forming into a youth-led movement. And so I started sharing my story um, I started, you know, helping them out in different rallies, marches, and I remember uh, when I first saw President Obama running for office. The system isn't working when 12 million people living in hiding and hundreds of thousands are crossing our borders illegally each year, when companies hire undocumented immigrants instead of legal citizens because they want to avoid paying overtime or avoid unionization or exploiting those workers, when communities are terrorized 
by ICE immigration raids, when nursing mothers are torn from their babies, when children come home from school to find their parents missing, when people are detained without access to legal counsel. When all that's happening, the system just isn't working, and we need to change it. And I remember me and my mom watching clips of him marching in Chicago with other dreamers. And I remember, you know, him promising in one of his many uh, campaign promises that he would get uh, immigration reform in his first term in office. And we were very excited about that. I remember my mom and I thinking, well, you know, this is great. We have an opportunity. We will be able to adjust our status. All of our work towards organizing is going to pay off. But by the end of his first term, we didn't see immigration reform. Um, we just saw about over 3 million people getting deported. We saw kind of the start of the militarization of the border. A lot of immigration reform advocates or, or activists when they saw his kind of free bid for, for the election and, and him coming to immigrant communities and especially the Latinx community, asking them, can you vote for me again? We, we made sure that he knew that that was not going to happen again. What we were really, in a sense, fighting for um, and we wanted to really make sure President Obama knew in all of these actions and the civil disobedience that we were doing all across the country was that we wanted protection from deportation. We wanted him to stop his massive deportation kind of machine that he had created. Effective immediately, the Department of Homeland Security is taking steps to lift the shadow of deportation from these young people. Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or also known as DACA, is a program that gives eligible, undocumented youth protection from deportation in a two-year work authorization that they can continue to renew. Precisely because this is temporary, Congress needs to act. And we still need to pass comprehensive immigration reform that addresses our 21st century economic and security needs. Immigration is, is always going to be a pawn for politicians to push for their agenda. And I think Republicans just kind of played him, you know? Uh, and I think that's, that's been the rhetoric in a lot of times for immigration, whether it's red or blue. We as immigrants, we always get, we're always getting played no matter what aisle you want to look at. Right now, a historic moment. Uh, we can now project the winner of the presidential race. CNN projects Donald Trump wins the presidency. The business tycoon and TV personality capping his improbable political journey with an astounding upset victory. Donald J. Trump will become the 45th president of the United States, defeating Hillary Clinton in a campaign unlike anything we've seen in our lifetime. After 2016, all of my nightmares have become my realities. I remember the night of the election, sitting with my family in front of our TV 
and my mom crying the moment that we saw uh, Trump won Ohio. I then, after everyone went to bed, I then had to register for my classes for my last semester at, at Xavier University. I stayed up in complete shock when the reality came to my mind that there was a good chance that I wouldn't finish those classes. Thankfully, I, I, I was able to, but in 2017, on, on September 5th, uh, the Trump administration decided to rescind DACA. Good morning. I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. Weeks or months maybe later, all of these different lawsuits start popping up. I remember going up, uh, flying to D.C. and being present when the Supreme Court heard the oral arguments for DACA um, and reading the decision of the Supreme Court in favor. And I want to make sure when you see that word in favor, there's parentheses in there. Because what they really said is that the manner in which the Trump administration ended DACA was not uh, following the APA guidelines. They didn't say that DACA should stay. They didn't say how much DACA was essential to, to the country um, and how much DACA recipients were essential workers during this pandemic. None, none of that was mentioned. They only mentioned that the, the way the Trump administration ended the program was not following the APA guidelines. And then the Trump administration uh, released a new memo, which is the current state of what uh, of the DACA program. And so in a sense, they will not continue to accept any new DACA applications. You know, to me, to someone who's been working on this issue for so long, it's just the administration saying, we're going to give ourselves a year until after the election. And if Trump wins the election, uh, then we're going to find a way to end the program according to the APA guidelines. I think you can summarize the, the Trump administration's approach to their immigration policies by two things that uh, Trump has said. The first one was how he started his campaign when Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. When he said that Mexicans are rapists, drug dealers, and uh, criminals, and that when Mexico sends its people, they do not send their best people. And the second statement is when Trump said, why are so many people from all these shithole countries coming? You just have to look at the policy. This administration has an anti-immigration and racist agenda. They are, not only are they making it almost impossible to live undocumented in this country, but they're also rolling back legal immigration. They're only allowing for wealthy uh, people to be immigrating in this country by how they've continued to raise fee prices for adjusting immigration status, um, their Muslim ban, the second Muslim ban, the asylum ban, the second asylum ban, um, the remain in Mexico policy. Look, I, I don't want to sound super 
anti-Republican and anti-Trump, but the policy's there. You can't argue with what is something is written down and how it's being implemented and who are the people that are getting hit. And when advocates like me and all of these different organizations have constantly always reached out to administration and said, the policies that you are passing are affecting these immigrants who are coming here to live a better life. There are 40 million people living in the United States today who were born in another country. Nearly 25% of them don't hold official status. They either cross the border illegally, have an expired visa, or do not have authorization to work. For decades, these individuals have been the focus of heated policy debates, and no administration has been able to pass comprehensive immigration reform. President Trump's anti-immigration rhetoric has further polarized the issue and the country. From America Media, I'm Sebastian Gomes, and this is Voting Catholic. In this episode, we're looking at the complex issue of immigration from the perspective of one young immigrant, Jose Arnulfo Cabrera. He's the Director of Education and Advocacy for Migration at the Ignatian Solidarity Network and a DACA recipient. After the break, I speak with him about the Catholic Church's position on immigration and what it will take to pass comprehensive and humane immigration reform. Stay with us. It's no ordinary time for politics and the presidential election. For breaking news, analysis, and commentary from a smart, informed perspective, sign up for our free daily newsletter, America Today. Visit americamag.org slash newsletters. Welcome back. Today I'm speaking with Jose Arnulfo Cabrera about immigration in the United States today. He's the Director of Education and Advocacy for Migration at the Ignatian Solidarity Network, and he's a DACA recipient. I began by asking him about the scope and complexity of the issue. When you think of immigration, it's not just one policy affecting one certain groups. It's not just a Latino issue. It's an issue that affects every one of us, and it is an issue that is so complex that we're only scratching the surface in this podcast. This administration has changed over 1,000 policies that have affected negatively immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers. And it's not just the policies we have today. It's the policies from previous administrations that have created push factors for immigrants coming to this country. The reason why my family and I came to this country is because NAFTA came into our country and destroyed our economy. It's international policies that affect countries all around and create push factors for migrants to migrate. Jose, what is the Catholic position on immigration? What does it mean to look at this issue and some of these individual policies through a Catholic lens? I think the church's position is that to be a good Catholic, we must welcome the stranger with open arms and we must always keep remember that they are human beings created by the image of God and our brothers and sisters. And I think the church 
has done the best it could to advocate for policies that can reflect that. And as a church, they have spoken a lot, shared a lot of resources, created a lot of materials to help parishioners in the pew understand that we must welcome the stranger, that is what Jesus taught us, reminding those that Jesus was an immigrant himself, that Jesus and his family fled violence, fled persecution. Jose, we hear a lot about comprehensive immigration reform. It's a phrase that's thrown around a lot to refer to all of these different policies that impact different groups of people who are either you know, seeking asylum or on a pathway to citizenship or are undocumented here in this country. From a Catholic perspective, what does comprehensive immigration reform look like? I think for, for us Catholics, it looks as policies that seize immigrants in a humane way that ensures that their dignity is being protected. And I think, especially what in the last few years, what we have seen how uh, children have been treated uh, in detention centers, at uh, ports of entries, at the border, how many immigrants have died in detention, that we have to see this as a life issue and that we must protect all life. Do you think the Catholic church is doing enough in that regard? I think that the, the Catholic church is so diverse and so broad that the reality is the, the church is divided on this issue. There's a lot of Catholics, and I have the, the privilege of working with a lot of them, that are working towards the dignity of immigrants across the country. And we also have to remember that a lot of Catholics themselves are immigrants, are undocumented immigrants in this country. My family is Catholic, and we are a mixed-status family. My mother's undocumented, and I have DACA, and my two sisters, younger sisters, are U.S.-born citizens. But there is also half of the churches, they don't see that. I think a lot of that half of the church still needs to have moment, more moments of encounters with undocumented immigrants and asylum seekers and refugees, and they have to understand where they're coming from, and they have to practice what the Bible tells us to do is welcome, welcome our neighbor. Normally, at this point in the interview, Jose, I would ask you to reflect on this issue of immigration in the context of how you're discerning which way to vote. <laughs> but I can't vote. <laughs> but you can't but you can't vote. Yeah. Um so what advice do you give to your fellow Catholics who do have that right? I think you have to sit down and reflect at what each two candidates say, not just the presidential but in every form of election from senators, representatives, state legislators, city council members, how are they going to approach migration? Are they going to approach it in thinking of the dignity of the immigrant, looking them as a human being, seeing them as children of God? But also keep in mind and understand that how this issue is very complex, that once the election is over, 
you should also continue to read and understand our process because it affects you even if you're a U.S. citizen. Next time on Voting Catholic, we look at health care. My family members are gone not only because COVID itself, and not only are they victims because they had some difficulties with accessing care, but they were also the victim of not just decades, but hundreds of years of health inequities. We hear from a doctor who has experienced firsthand the devastating toll of the COVID-19 pandemic and what it has exposed in the American healthcare system. There isn't an aspect of our lives that hasn't been changed. Uh, by the COVID pandemic, by our response to it, and by how we manage going forward. For complete coverage of the 2020 election from America Media, visit americamagazine.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting us. It's easy to do. Visit americamagazine.org donate or subscribe to our award-winning print magazine. Thank you for your support. And if you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, let them know about it. That's the simplest way to spread the word about the series. Voting Catholic is a production of America Media, a Jesuit ministry. This episode was written and produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Sound design and mixing by Ashley Spillane. With production assistance from Kevin Robles and Erica Rasmussen. Art by Sean Tripoli and Allison Hamilton. It was recorded at a safe distance in the William J. Loeschert studio at America Media in New York City. Voting Catholic was made possible by the generous support of Beth and Tom Rainey. I'm your host and executive producer, Sebastian Gomes. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you in part by Hallow, the number one Catholic prayer and meditation app. Build a habit of prayerful discernment both in this election season and in everyday life. For a 30-day free trial, head to hallow.com slash voting Catholic.